We've had a great deal of activity since the 99th podcast. Looks like the situation in Afghanistan is behind us, at least in theory. Looks like environmental problems are in front of us. Not much theory left there. It's all becoming matter of fact. There's the economy, which is suffering with supply chain management because everyone is on short supply and there are ships that can't get into ports because there's no one there to man them. There's a typical misinformation coming around from various places where hospital ERs are in fact not full. They're just lying to us. And of course, I had a conversation with some ER people about that because I was curious. And what I found out was that when you see an empty bed in a uh, emergency room situation or close to it, what you're witnessing is understaffing. What you're witnessing is hospitals who are desperately trying to find people to staff them up so they can service the crowd. I had a conversation with a large urban hospital who told me that they are getting calls. At least their people told me that they're getting calls from suburban hospitals in the Rocky Mountain states to try and figure out how many beds they can allocate between them and what kind of distribution transfer systems they can have while at the same time they're trying to hire staff. When you see a hospital worker with a mask on, stumbling around trying to figure out what to do, kind of in a daze, uh, you're looking at the human condition. You're looking at the frailty of the human condition in action. And there's a great many people in the United States today who do not trust the CDC. They do not trust the government. They do not trust hardly themselves, perhaps not even their neighbors. And yet, we're still here, muddling along as a republic, I think, as the rest of the world either suffers or laughs, depending on where they are. This is not a pleasant situation to run a podcast on at 100. And then, of course, there's the issues of of mortality, where people now are facing their mortality at every level, at unimaginable volumes that they never thought possible. Very healthy, bright, young people are going on ventilators and dying for no other reason than they were careless. There are parents who are trying to tie up teachers to keep them from implementing mandates about masking because they think that their children should not wear masks to go to school. There's an article in the New York Times recently called The Quiet Rage of the Vaccinated. The Quiet Rage of the Vaccinated. I think that's a real deal. Whoever wrote that, I forget who the author was, but I wear a mask, of course, and I've been vaccinated, of course. And I plan to stay the course. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in this state, um, where this is coming from, in the state of Washington, we have a governor, uh, Governor Jay Inslee, who came to us from multiple tours in the Congress. I think now the second longest sitting governor in this state's history, this may very well be his last term because he is exercising a great deal of control over masking, implementing mask mandates, 
all over the place in large crowds, small crowds, you name it. He's got a mask on somebody everywhere. And I'm thinking that's probably because he doesn't want to be the governor of the state of Washington who goes out with the his, with, with, with the reputation that he's the guy that managed to allow everyone to be casual, and he killed half the population of the state because of it. Who wants that? Least of all, Jay Inslee, who for many people is nothing more than an empty suit. At the very beginning, I didn't like Inslee at all, but now I'm starting to think maybe I like him a lot. For years and years and years, I was a 2A guy. Everything about my life was on the Second Amendment, and I didn't have access to a lot of other information or circumstance because I was focused on that all the time. I think that's changed now in my case. I think that I am certainly a fan of the Second Amendment, probably always will be, but I'm also a fan of people like Inslee, who is not an empty suit. He's a guy trying to save you from yourself. As we go forward on the national scene, of course, we have the President of the United States and his various cabinet officers who are trying to justify to the American citizenry how the withdrawal from Afghanistan was handled. And this is not new news. And the circumstances around it are not new. There are some new things coming out as various reporters that are inside the wire, so to speak, are coming back with stories about what's really going on. And they're not exactly pleasant. I don't know quite how to react to that uh, as, a, as a citizen, as an American, as a um, guy that uh, was in the counterinsurgency business during the Great War of Southeast Asia. I know that as counterinsurgencies, we did a lot of things during Vietnam that probably are just as screwed up as they were in Afghanistan. And I'm not sure why we continue doing that, but we do. We seem to think somehow that that's going to turn people's mind, I think what it does is just create more fury. I was young then, so it didn't make a lot of, you know, sense to anyone, I guess, to contradict what was going on. We were all sort of in the soup together. I think that the president, if, you know, this is an opinion thing, I guess, an opinion piece, but I think that the president could have done a better job of explaining why there was such a clusterfuck at the um, withdrawal. Uh, if I were to brand, if I were to, uh, I guess, mention that he made a mistake, it would be that during his um, speech uh, discussing the methodology and what happened, he managed to recite a lot of statistics about how good it was while pointing the finger at why it was everyone else's fault. I wish he'd stop talking about Bo. There's many of us out there that have lost children, and I think we've had enough of that. I would like to um, remind the POTUS that, that uh, it's okay to take the blame for something, and it's also okay to call people out. But if, you know, you want to give as good as you get, so stand with them toe-to-toe and duke it out, but don't leave the room. Don't storm out of there. Don't get pissy with a, with the, the father of one of the deceased 13. Joe Biden and John McCain were both very good friends. They both had their reputation for getting a little nasty, a little nippy once in a while. And I think that it shows at the most inopportune times. 
And maybe last week was one of those inopportune times when the president probably should have done a better job. I'm calling him out on some things that are probably circumstantial, don't make uh, any difference, and are none of my business when you get right down to it because I'm certainly not sitting in the cabinet or the situation room. But I am watching media, and I am watching reaction. And I'm kind of in the media, sort of. Kind of. And so don't be afraid of yourself, and don't be afraid of the people around you. Stand there and support your position. Support who you are without channeling anyone else. You know, you call them out, they'll call you out, but it's even. It's always even across the board. I don't care if you're the president or the Dalai Lama. Same deal. Or if you're the president of a, of a school district or a, or a uh, parish in uh, Louisiana. You know, how about all the people are trying to make sense out of the weather coming up from the Gulf Coast through the Northeast, flooding cities, killing people by the dozens. Who's responsible for that? I mean, 38% of the population thinks that nobody's responsible for it, excepting so what? Just one of those weather things. I don't agree with that. I think that we are in big trouble, and I think we've got to get ahead of it. I think that we have to draw down our carbon footprint as quickly as possible, and I believe that's absolute fact. I read books about that, so I'm at least that informed. Project Drawdown has another book coming out, I think, about in another couple of weeks or so on our carbon footprint. That's the Drawdown people. I follow them. Pretty impressive the way they address the problem. I've thought, too, in the last um, couple of years, actually, about how it would feel to have a fire coming up the canyon and be one of maybe 60,000 people on the run because my property is going to burn down and I will have zero left when it's over with. Nothing but a pile of ashes. I wonder what that would be like. And then have to go to a hotel that you can't afford to live in and try to figure out how FEMA is going to give you some money that they can't afford to give you either. And you wonder why this is all happening. If the United States is burning on the west and flooding on the east and blowing away in the southwest east, I wonder what that means to rational people about the environment. In your entire life, assuming that you're not a dinosaur or a Triassic period fossil, you've never seen weather like this. You know, you've never seen palm trees grow in the Arctic and you've never seen rocks flying around willy-nilly because of a windstorm. You might have seen a few lumber yards blow away because of a hurricane, but you didn't see the whole area burn up. You didn't see 25,000 acres go. You didn't see one acre per minute burn. One acre per minute burn with the fury of the hottest fire you've ever seen. No, you've never seen that. You know? And if you think you have, you're bullshitting yourself. John Lacasse is a writer and public scholar whose research on transcendental teaching styles, quantum mechanics, and the nature of consciousness are available on Amazon Books, ProQuest Academic Libraries, and the Library of Congress. Tension is an overview of personal stories and recollections of lived experiences by ordinary people of extraordinary capacity. This podcast holds sway against the guise of middlebrow academic correctness. 
Attention Podcast is the counterpoint for smart people who understand the nature of conflict as they dance with opinion and deviate from convention.